So I thank you all for coming. Uh, just, a, just a word of, uh, just a word I think of preparation. I think that what's going to happen is starting, this is going to be hopefully the first Emir Hashem of uh, five classes on the Ramchal. Uh, I think the plan is to actually go ahead and do earlier in the evening. Several people have reached out and said that that would be more, uh, they'd be more amenable to it. If, uh, if you uh, disagree, uh, certainly uh, let me know, uh, but it certainly seems that that might be um, a better time for everybody. And, uh, and, and what I want to do, just a word, uh, a disclaimer of sorts in the beginning. Uh, the Ramchal is vast. Um, the Ramchal's writings are vast. Uh, as we'll see, the Ramchal uh, felt the need for his writings to be vast, and the figure of the Ramchal is uh, impossible to contain in, in five shares or even 50 shirim. Uh, so, so what I see these classes as and, uh, and, and what, what maybe our goal might be is first to introduce the figure of the Ramchal who is, uh, and to show his centrality, why we should care about the Ramchal, why, why the Ramchal is so important uh, for, for us now um, and for really, uh, uh, for really all of Jewish history in, in a sense was maybe changed by the Ramchal's writings and by the figure of the Ramchal and to show how that, how that happened. And then hopefully to give a peek in the next four classes afterwards, some text study of the Ramchal's writings themselves to see uh, the brilliance and the beauty of the Ramchal's writings. Um, so tonight will be a shorter class, uh, a class uh, by way of introduction uh, to what is got to be one of the most remarkable, um, mysterious and... Uh, and um, and meaningful lives uh, that uh, Jewish history has produced. Um, and uh, I guess before, uh, before we start anything, I've always been intrigued uh, by the Ramchal because in my family there's, uh, two, there's like two traditions that we were told. The first tradition is that we're descended from Rav Pinchas of Karetz, who was an early uh, Hasidic leader of the first generation of Hasidic masters. Um, and then the second uh, was that we were also descended uh, from the Ramchal. Uh, so I, I tried to clarify this a little, uh, p- perhaps. Perhaps uh, somebody once joked around to my dad when you cross <coughs> when you cross the uh, when you cross the Pinchas of Karetz and the Ramchal, so you get you get me, which is sad commentary, uh, but. Um, but, uh, but basically what, what I had heard uh, on the Ramchal side of things was that my Safta, uh, my Safta who should live and be well, my Safta's uh, family comes from Padua, Italy. Uh, and my Safta's grandmother who's buried on Haraz Eitim, so the family name was Lutsati. And uh, the, the, the Ramchal himself did not have any direct descendants, but the Ramchal had two brothers. And uh, it's likely that the family tradition was likely that she was descended from one of the uh, Lutsata brothers. So be that as it may, that's my own small little uh, hand uh, hold. Your mother? That my father's mother, yeah, my Safta, uh, should live and be well. So um, a few... A few words of introduction about Italian Jewry and the climate and the context that, uh, that the Ramchal comes out of. Italian Jewry, we gave some shirim here uh, before one of the oldest Jewish communities in the world was Italian Jewry already in Rome uh, and, the Byz- and, and subsequently in the Byzantine Empire. Uh, Jews had been there already since the time of, uh, the, fir- of, the, of, of the first Beit HaMikdash. The community has even developed its own unique uh, minhagim, Italiani minhagim, and uh, for example, one of the things apparently they say uh, they say Kol Nidre is said in, uh, in 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 Hebrew, as if to reflect almost an earlier tradition uh, than the than the communities that go ahead and say in Aramaic. Uh, but the Italian Jewish community, for many reasons, flourished much more. Uh, in, in, uh, in, in, in at least physical pursuits than other Jewish communities because 
by dint of their, of their proximity to the papacy and their proximity uh, towards the seat of Christian power, somehow uh, they, were treated, uh, they were treated with a softer hand and uh, they were allowed to flourish and certainly because of <laughs> the fact that Italy uh, was eventually started to be ruled by smaller nation city-states. So those city-states, especially the Medici family, for example, uh, found it uh, in, uh, in their eyes, they found it worthwhile to go ahead and to grant uh, full civil rights to Jews far earlier than would happen in the United the rest of Europe. And for that, we find that Italian Jewry in many respects flourished in education and in, uh, in scientific writing and also, as we will see, in certain streams of Kabbalah, which developed in Italy as well. Three events that I think are really important in order to set the stage for the Ramchal. If you take a look, you can follow along in the timeline that we have here. So the first is that in 1572 is the death of the Arizal, Rabbi Yitzchak Luria in Sfat. Rabbi Yitzchak Luria also lived a very short life by the Ramchal, did not write much, uh, as we'll see in a, in a moment, did not write much, but uh, very much became responsible for the flourishing and the propagation of Kabbalah. He developed the Lurianic system of Kabbalah, an explication of the earlier systems of Kabbalah, refinement perhaps of earlier systems of, Kavana, of Kabbalah, and an entire uh, theosophical system, as it were, in order to understand the workings of God, the way God interacts with our world. And, um, and his students go out immediately after his death, <coughs> led by Rabbi Chaim Vital, who himself comes from Italy, and, uh, and, and also uh, by other rabbis, like for example, Rabbi Yisrael Sarug, who go ahead and propagate the teaching of the Ari in Italy and further on, and the teachings of the Arizal uh, take the Jewish world uh, by storm. And, uh, the, and, and interest in Kabbalah and interest in mystical esoteric doctrines of Judaism explode at that time. The second event after the death of the Ari and the propagation of Lurianic Kabbalah is in 1661, the Council of Vilna issues a ban upon public joy and merrymaking in the wake of the Chomnitsky massacres during the uprising of 1648 and 1657. Scholarly Jews rage uh, between something like 40,000 and 100,000 Jews in Eastern Europe are murdered during the uprising uh, by Chamniki, Machshamo, and uh, the Cossacks. And uh, the destruction of Eastern European Jewry at the time is, is hard to really uh, overstate. An almost complete and total uh, massacre of Jewish communities and structures of Jewish life. And in the wake of that, a few years later, Shabtai uh, Tzvi, uh, uh, well, Earlier than that, already starting in uh, already starting in the cities of Smyrna and moving over to the city of Saloniki in Greece, uh, a young individual starts to pronounce the name of God. Uh, against the rabbinic ban, pronounce the name of God in its full letters, and uh, this, uh, this Shabtai Tzvi becomes uh, at the front, the forefront, together with the Sabbatean prophets, especially uh, Natan Azati, Nathan of Gaza, uh, begins to go ahead and uh, create a messianic foment amongst the Jews of Europe, and uh, even it makes its way to some of the communities in the Mediterranean. Many people go ahead, uh, sell their possessions. Uh, Gluckel of Hamel, uh, in her memoirs, talks about how her father sells all of her possessions uh, and they get ready for their trip to Eretz Yisrael where Shabtai Tzvi uh, will be crowned the king of the Messiah. Uh, events lead to the fact that in 1666 uh, Shabtai Tzvi makes his way to the seat of, the, of, of, the, of one of the strongest empires of the time, makes his way to Constantinople today's Istanbul and he is immediately put into prison uh, they don't know quite what to do with him but Shabtai Tzvi uh, eventually is given the, uh, the chance the opportunity to either reveal himself as Messiah, risk death, 
or to convert to Islam. He chooses the latter. He converts to Islam and uh, many of his followers, it is a tremendous, the, another, almost like as if, as if the Chomnitsky massacres are a physical catastrophe. This is a spiritual catastrophe. Everybody felt that the time was ripe for the advent of the Messianic era and everything falls apart. The sense of disappointment is profound and, uh, and, and covers vast swaths of Jewry at the time. There were many rabbis that went ahead and joined in Shabtai Tzvi's movement or at least lent some sort of support to it. <coughs> there were, to be sure, many people who uh, railed against it, but the Jewish world uh, was left almost theologically in tatters afterwards. The messianic disappointment was great. So great, actually, that about 300 families refused to accept the reality that had set in and actually went ahead and said that Shabtai Tzvi is merely going into occultation and eventually they became uh, it's a community that still, to a certain extent, exists today, a syncretistic blend of Judaism and Islam, known as the Donmeh community. Uh, there's, uh, I think, even uh, an outpost of it in L.A. Uh, they have certain mosques in, t- in, uh, in, uh, in, in, in today's Turkey that are Donmeh mosques of uh, these Jews that uh, sadly followed Shabtai Tzvi. Um, in uh, another last event that's really important over here, in 1593, Pope Clement VIII expels most of the Jews living in Papal States, and at the same time, as I mentioned, the Medici family and certain other powerful families choose to give Jews full civil rights at the time. So it's a, it, into this foment is born a baby boy in 1707. Moshe Chaim is born to Diamante and Rabbi Yaakov Chai Lutzato in Padua, Italy. If you take a look at the map that's reproduced here, a little bit of a uh, blurry map, but if you take a look, it's in the north of Italy, and it was a port city. Padua uh, for many years was a prosperous city and at the time had one of the most important uh, medical schools in Italy and it was the seat of many uh, scholars and relatively quiet and uh, and uh, quiet and allowed for an intellectual uh, give and take between the Jews and the people that lived there as well. In fact many people would travel from Poland and other areas in Europe to come and to join uh, the Jewish community, the relative safety and the relative security and the relative openness of the Jewish community in northern Italy. And in fact, we find that many of the early followers of the Ramchal are indeed people who originally came to take, uh, to take medical school classes in the University of Padua. Um, in fact, I saw in a scholarly article that apparently at age 16, they uncovered documents in Italian of the matriculation documents of the Ramchal himself from the medical school, the University of Padua. They're print, uh, so that's uh, the article, if you want to see it, is printed in the foot, I, I put it in the footnote on the bottom over here. Uh, it's not known whether or not the Ramchal achieved a degree, but attended medical school at least for a year in the University of Padua. In 1722, uh, at age 15, the Ramchal's teacher, Rabbi Yeshaya Mordechai Bassan, who was then the chief rabbi of Padua, leaves to take a rabbinic post in Reggio and Moshe Chaim later joins what was called the Mavakshe Hashem Mystical Circle comprised of uh, well we'll talk about the Mavakshe Hashem Circle at length later but the Mavakshe Hashem Circle was a group of young men who uh, assumed that their Torah study would be something that would sustain the whole world they established a number of takanot they established a number of edicts for example one of the edicts was so that each one there would never be a moment when one member of the circle would not be learning so they would basically start learning 15 minutes before the mishmar, before the post of one of them, uh, uh, before the post of one of them finished, another would begin learning as if to have a constant uh, stream of uninterrupted Torah study and the, uh, the Rabchal quickly rises to the head of this group. Other members of this group that we're aware of and who we shall talk about uh, is another uh, physician, Rabbi Moshe, uh, <laughs> Rabbi Moshe David Vali. Uh, Rabbi Moshe David Vali becomes the most important student of the Ramchal in his 
this lifetime, uh, writes prodigiously, uh, Sefer Alichutim, two volumes, a commentary in all of Tanakh, and, uh, and Ramosha David Valley is, uh, is also part of the Ramchal's inner circle of Yekusil Gordon, who is a medical student from Poland, also joins uh, the mystical circle. All of the young men, very young men in the circle, are, uh, are, are, are people that are totally committed to purity and totally committed to, to what is seen as the intent that their Torah learning and their purity and their service of God is what's going to sustain the entire world. Uh, during this time, about two years later, at 17, the Ramchal publishes his first book, L'Shon Limudim, which which is an essay. Uh, it's printed, the frontispiece, the colophon is over here on the left. Uh, it's too small for you to read, but it's a book about rhetoric and how those who are learning Torah should learn how to write. Kind of presumptuous for a 17-year-old boy to do so. However, Rav Yeshaya Basan says that at age 14, he testifies, and we'll see that the rest of the Ramchal's life, during the travails of the Ramchal's life, throughout that time, the Ramchal is supported and turns constantly to Rabbi Basan, his elder, for support and defense in the wake of the terrible accusations that are going to be launched against the Ramchal later in his lifetime. And the Ramchal also publishes the first of what will be much poetry throughout his lifetime, the epic poem, Ases Shimshon. I printed over here an excerpt, which we'll read right now, and you could see already at the age of 17, uh, the beauty of the, Ram- of the Ramchal's prose and his writing. And um, Ases Shimshon is the story of Samson, uh, the uh, the fate. Um, and, it's, and, it's, and it's basically expressed as an epic poem. Narukhal even introduces the characters in the beginning, and some of the characters, for example, are personality traits or, or mystical traits already that are embodied. For example, there's a character called Chemla, there's a character of kindness and mercy, there's a character called Gvura. So Shimshon, Bimachanedan bein Soda ubein Eshtaol. So enter Samson, right? This is an incredible document. Enter Samson speaking to Gvura, speaking to the power of forbearance embodied or one might say the mystical sphira, the Kabbalistic sphira of Gvura, forbearance and strength and withholding and uh, the kind of saints, the sense of, uh, of power that is controlled power. You beautiful woman of valor, you have placed your memory in the hearts of those who are strong and powerful, the warriors. You shall wear a, a, a helmet of armor like jewelry. The Chosin Yeshuot, it's almost impossible to translate properly, but the seal of, uh, of salvation shall be that the helmet that you wear upon your head. Your sword shall not. Shimshon is basically speaking to his inner power, to his strength as a warrior. Your sword shall not be silent. He who Chadacharev, this sharp sword of destruction in order to become slaked with the blood of your enemies from from your uh, from from the, the strength that you've gotten together fire shall go forth come come forbearance come come strength now in the camp the lion cub shall be revealed. Shimshon is, this internal dialogue is rendered so beautifully, almost in almost prophetic terms, it's rendered. This is the writing of the Ramchal at this time. So maybe he, he was indeed justified publishing Lashon Limudim at that time as well. 1727, at the age of 20, the Ramchal publishes uh, another, uh, uh, um, another poem of sorts, 
pros, Migdal Oz, in honor of the wedding of Rabbasan's children. He also publishes uh, another poem called Chanukah Sa'aron. If you look in the middle, I wish it was printed in color. I would just ask quickly, does anybody recognize this Aron Kodesh? Uh, the Ramchal published this poem at the dedication of the Aron in the main synagogue in Padua. Well, it, since the color is not there, if it was in color, you'd notice the blue background and you'd notice the fine uh, woodwork interlaid with white and black punctuation. That Aron in Padua, uh, if, if you've been to the Heichal Shlomo Shul in Jerusalem, that Aron, the Ark, from Padua, which ostensibly the Ramchal is talking about, was dismantled and brought subsequently to Israel where it sits in the great synagogue of Jerusalem in the anteroom on the side where they hold daily tefillot. I've seen it personally. Uh, that's, the, uh, that's the Aaron that the Ramchal is writing about in Chanukah Sa'aron. Moving, uh, moving along, and, uh, and, and, and I want you to just take a look at, at, at the, the pace the speed with which this life is going ahead and accomplishing incredibly thing, incredible things. In May 1727, during his time in the Mavakshi Hashem circle, and one must assume that the spiritual work that they were doing was immense, constantly striving, as the Ramchal basically writes later on in Mesilat Yishayim, striving for what should be the sine qua non of the religious experience, which is a revelation, some sort of a, some sort of a stamp uh, of approval, something in our minds that says that your work is not for naught, that you are indeed enjoying in a, a connection, an unmediated connection with the divine. Nevoa no longer exists, but one is supposed to work to be able to feel God's presence and God's spirit speaking within to, in order to arouse a mystical experience, the fruit of spiritual labor. So on Rosh Chodesh Sivan, in May 1727, the Ramchal receives the first revelation of his Magid. So a word about Magidim. The Ramchal was not the only figure in Jewish history who claimed the revelation of a Magid. Famously, one of the most important figures in all of Jewish history, the author of the Shulchan Aruch, claimed... I, I use the word claim not as a, a, not as a sense of, of, of Khalila in, in, in impinging upon the claim. I mean, that which they said, right? We can't know the true inner workings, but, but this is the experience described. So, so a member of the Arizal circle in 16th century Tzfat was, uh, was a halachist, uh, first and foremost, but, but really also a Kabbalist um, that was uh, the author of the Shulchan Aruch, Rabbi Yosef Karo. And Rabbi Yosef Karo, at the same time that he was compiling the base Yosef on the tour, and the Kesef Mishnah and what would eventually become the Shulchan Aruch of course one of the most canonical and important collections of halacha of works of Jewish history was receiving revelations answering questions and, and giving Torah commentary from a magid from a celestial interlocutor and he put it down in a book that's written you could get nowadays called Magid Misharim and, the, and, and, and he describes part of his printed English and Louis Jacobs mystical testimonies sorry Morris Feierstein's Jewish mystical testimonies where you could see translations of it, including I believe a section talking about translations of the Ramchal's work as well and, uh, and, he, and he prints and he writes mm. down the contents of his dreams. Earlier than that we have a Shailot in Shuvot mm. another example of this where a person uh, where, uh, I forgot the name of the rabbi one of the Bali Tosfot, contemporary of the Bali Tosfot would go to sleep and he would submit questions after fasting for many days. He would submit halachic questions and receive halachic answers itself a fascinating sukya of what the validity of those halachic answers. And he would ask, and it, he, there's like one question, when's the Messiah going to come? There's no answer in that. Then there's other questions about like, are women allowed to go ahead and to shake the lulav, where he does receive full answers.
answers, and they're quoted approvingly in later halachic works as well. Ravavad Yosef has a long footnote where he discusses that question in the second volume of Yechavadas, where he talks about why the halachic conclusions, uh, I, I believe we learned this in the Shailas and Shuvah shir as well, why the halachic conclusions found in Shailas and Shuvah's Min HaShamayim, responsive from the heavens, have some validity, even though we say, for example, Divrei Chalomos Lomaridim Lomalim, we don't give such shrift to the words that are found in dreams, but there also are many stories throughout Jewish history of people that have received the Gilu Yehliyahu, people that have received the revelation of the prophet Elijah who is said to be able to traverse the land of the living and the land of the souls, to be able to go ahead and to, and to communicate with human beings that have sufficiently spiritually prepared themselves. So the Ramchal receives the first revelation of his Magid. Let's read about the first letter. He hides the revelation. He doesn't express it even to the members of his mystical circle. Uh, uh, estimates range from between a year and a half to almost three years before the Ramchal tells anybody about these visits and, bet- and about these subsequent revelations from the Magid, from souls that he said would appear to him, from Elijah the prophet, he writes the following in a letter. He says, I'm going to give over the story in short. This is in the box at the top over here. Right? So he writes, On Rosh Chodesh Sivan 1727, I was involved and I was engaged in a certain Kabbalistic unification near Damti. I fell asleep. And when I awoke, I mean, this is a remarkable document. This is an amazing thing that he shares with us, the, the mechanics of this revelation. He says, and when I woke up, I heard a voice emanating and saying, I have revealed myself and landed here in order to reveal mystical secrets of God Almighty. And I stood a little shaking, trembling in its presence. And then I became strong. I strengthened myself. And the voice that was emanating did not cease. And revealed the secret at that time. This is the first revelation of the Magid to Ramchal, which will basically be the crux of Ramchal's life, from young prodigious scholar to going ahead to being a figure of immense controversy in his time and eventually catapulting him into the, into the pantheon of the greatest Jewish thinkers of history, the greatest uh, Kabbalists and writers and rabbis of history, as we'll see, claimed by all. And perhaps uh, one of the greatest, uh, one of the greatest um, engines by which Jewish and Hebrew <laughs> literature develops and Kabbalistic systems develop and Musser develops and uh, modernity develops from the Ramchal. So we'll see that in a moment. He says, The next day, the following Monday, I tried to stay in, my, in a room on my own. And the voice returned and it told me another secret. The voice revealed who he was, uh, who it was. He says that it's been sent from Shamayim. And revealed to me certain permutations of God's name. Yichudim, for example, we've been saying, just to show you how, how present this is in our common discourse, we've been counting Svir uh, Omer and, and printed in many Yisidurim is, you'll say, Right, so that itself emanates from the Kabbalistic viewpoint. And of course, there were 
were figures that went ahead and railed against uttering such a thing beforehand, before saying it. And why it was that Sphere Saomer seems to be the thing that gets this? And other Sidurim, for example, in my Sidur, there's like, uh, if, or like if you look in certain Haggadahs, for example, Hasidic Haggadahs, there's like Yishem Yichud before everything, right? But, right, but, but Sphere Saomer merited to have it, uh, even in mainstream uh, printed Sidurim, Liachit, to take God's name, the Yud, and then the Hey, and then to understand what they mean and to combine that with the Vav and the Hey, in a sense, that is what we call a unification, a divine unification. Now, much more, uh, much more complex unifications exist. Uh, turn, for example, to a Sidura Rashash, a, a later Kabbalist that went ahead, and you could have on the first bracha of Shmona Esrei multiple pages telling you all the different permutations, unifications of God's name to do something that I don't uh, understand at all. But at least it's worth understanding that such a thing exists. So he, the Ranchal was revealed to him by this Magid, another uh, Yichud, another unification of God's name. Ah, he says, and then he came, so I didn't see him. So it's an auditory experience. He allowed me to ask as well to open up a, a dialogue with this angelic interlocutor. And he says, He gave me certain individual activities, spiritual activities to do in every day, so that I shall merit the revelation of the prophet Elias. He commanded me to write a commentary on Sefer Kohelis. I believe that this is lost to us nowadays. Only fragments of this exist. Some of them, I believe, are printed in this Otsra Saramchal to return to later. Uh, the great Rabbi Chaim Friedlander, who was, I believe, in the Panovich Yeshiva, who was responsible for the publication and, and really a, a, a manuscript treatment of many of the Ramchal's work. Some of the best editions of the Ramchal's work exist in these green volumes, uh, many of them which we will return to in the subsequent installments of this, of this year. He told me how I should write a sefer, and he says, Eliyahu revealed himself to me, and told me secrets. And he said, and afterwards, there's going to be many people. Take a look at the last paragraph. And I'm telling you honestly, I have not, re- I have not reached even half of what the Ariza was. And of course, the Ariza system was traditionally considered to have been revealed to the Ari by none other than Elijah the prophet. Right? So he says, I haven't even reached half with all this activity, with this amazing revelation that this man has experienced after all this hard and difficult work. He says, I haven't experienced half of it. However, the Ariza was not permitted to write down his revelations. And I was told that I must write down what's been revealed to me. Revealed within me were great mystical understandings that many people don't know. The words of the Arizal are very difficult. Closed book, difficult to understand. Mainly, the main question, one of the central questions of Kabbalah how could it be that the infinite the infinite essence of God, so to speak, can be revealed in this coarse physical world. How could that possibly be what we call Seder HaIshtal Shalos, the devolvement of the divine presence into our world, our physical world? How does God manifest in our world? 1730, the Ramchal, so a letter is sent to a, uh, even after, even after, 
uh, Shabtai Tzvi is mitaslain, even after he converts to Islam. So there remain uh, many people or many ideas of Shabtai Tzvi which have, uh, uh, which have strong durability. Uh, in chief amongst them, the concept of service of God through sin, the elevation of, uh, uh, the elevation of sin. And, uh, and there were crypto Sabbateans. There were communities that had hidden or partial Sabbatean views. And, and there were many rabbis at the time seeing the, the paroxysm and the destruction uh, that, the, that the, mis, the, the messianic disappointment of Shabtai Tzvi was, that they were heresy hunters. Uh, Elisheva Karbach has a beautiful book about this. Uh, and, 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 and one of the chief figures of this is Rabbi Moshe Chagiz, who at the time was in Yerushalayim. Rabbi Moshe Chagiz uh, receives letters uh, talking about the fact that there's this young man, very young, he's unmarried, and he's saying uh, he's part of this mystical circle, and he's doing things that are quite, quite out of the ordinary, quite strange, right? Uh, quite presumptuous, it might seem. And quite scary if you're a person who understands the impact of what Sabbateanism had done. And in truth, after the wake of the Shabtai Tzvi, many, uh, many, because Shabtai Tzvi, much of his philosophy had been founded upon ideas that were bastardized from the Kabbalah. So what had happened was is that certain restrictions, bans were put in place on the study of Kabbalah at the time. Many of them were even codified, and that's where you may have heard uh, certain restrictions on age and marriage, and those who have fulfilled themselves, filled their stomachs up first. You have to know all of the Shasim Poskim, all the revealed Torah. So here you have this uh, young man who's doing all this, and that arouses the ire of Rabbi Moshe Chagiz, who's a son of Rabbi Yaakov Chagiz, who was in the time of the uh, of, of, of Shabtai Tzvi himself, and they report on the activities of this Mavakshi Hashem Society and the Ramchal's revelations. The Ramchal is told that he must either burn or hide his writings, and what the Ramchal does is many of his writings are put into a chest, and that wooden chest is sent to his rabbi, Rabbi Basan, for safekeeping, and the Ramchal signs a document saying, okay, no longer will I teach Kabbalah, no longer will I, uh, basically, the activities of the Mavakshi Hashem group persist, but no longer with the mystical bent or the Kabbalistic bent with which they had gone ahead and sustained themselves before. In 1731, perhaps, uh, perhaps uh, going ahead and, and cutting off one of the, uh, one of the main criticisms of the Ramchal, the Ramchal gets married to Tzipora, who's the daughter of Rabbi David Finzi of Mantua. Mantua is an important center for the printing of Jewish books. And, um, <coughs> and the Ramchal, uh, the scholar Isaiah Tishbi, a great student of Gershom Sholem, whose book uh, we shall return to later, uh, uh, discovered the Ketubah of, uh, of the Ramchal and uh, Tzipor, and there are annotations to the Ketubah, which themselves are quite fascinating. He dedicates a whole chapter to it, talking about how the Ramchal perceived Moshe marrying Tzipora as being this mystical union as well in the spiritual realm, that they are now going to go ahead and to teach Torah uh, for his part. Um, now, I'm, I'm quite small, even for a scholar, right? Uh, certainly for rabbis, but Tishbi is a monumental scholar, uh, was a monumental scholar. One of his Mishnah, Zohar, is one of the most important uh, scholarly works of the Zohar. Uh, so when he wrote about, uh, it's published in English, Messianic Mysticism, he seems to believe, uh, I'll just give away the cards a little bit, he seems to believe that the Ramchal uh, was, uh, if not a Sabbatean, certainly drew upon Sabbatean ideas in much of his thinking. He thinks that perhaps the Ramchal believed that Shabtai Tzvi was Mashiach ben Yosef, which is the Messiah that's destined to die in Kabbalistic thought before the Messiah, Mashiach ben David, before the final Redeemer arrives. One of the documents 
statements that he marshals to go ahead and support uh, this, uh, this point of view or this uh, portrait of the Ramchal is the Ketubah, the mystical Ketubah of the Ramchal. Uh, suffice it to say, um, suffice it to say, I'm certainly, I, I've read a lot of the book not, uh, not fully, I don't think it's, uh, I think it's a, a gross overstatement. I think it ignores uh, the, uh, the reception history of the Ramchal's works. I think it ignores the Ramchal's biography. I think it ignores the Ramchal's main works that the Ramchal put his efforts into uh, and, and the way the Ramchal lived his life and also the fact that uh, many key elements of Sabbatean doctrine, like for example, Aver uh, violating the Torah for the sake of God's name, right? Many of these key aspects are totally, are totally out, uh, outside of the, the purview of, of what the Ronchal ever said. Um, but, uh, but I guess Akadir, he discovered some very important documents. Maybe that's uh, for somebody else to discuss. There's an article that was printed in, the, in tradition in, in, the, in the 80s, which goes ahead and outlines some of the refutations, perhaps, of Tishbi's thesis. And there are other, uh, there are other rabbinic uh, refutations of it. Certainly, the greatest refutation, I think, is that despite what a certain scholar <laughs> thinks, is that the Ronchal, as we'll see later, is almost universally acclaimed and accepted. Uh, uh, very quickly, even after the events of the Ronchal's lifetime, by almost all streams of Judaism, claimed by everybody as a forebearer of, of many of their traditions. In, th- in 1734, the Ramchal publishes another important sefer called Da'at Tfunot, The Knowing Heart, which is a systematic explication of Jewish theology presented as a dialogue between the intellect and the soul. It's in translation. There's a Feldheim edition that just came out, uh, a, a, a big annotated edition. I believe we have it I'm trying to see. I know somebody brought it to the shul. Uh, between the heart and the intellect, we'll quote one line from it because what Datvunot does is that it really goes ahead and explains things so beautifully. It's the follow-up, really, to an earlier presentation, a systematic presentation of Jewish thought called Derech Hashem. I'm, I, I must say that reading Derech Hashem uh, when I was younger, uh, when I was like Shana Aleph in Israel, reading Derech Hashem with Rav Arya Kaplan's translation of it, I think was a pivotal reason for why I am a believing Orthodox Jew. I mean, the way in which the Ramchal places things, like the first time that somebody dealt with questions of the afterlife, and Onesh, reward and punishment, Hashkacha, Pratis and Klalis, how God deals with the world, the Ramchal presents it in the most systematic, clear way that you could possibly imagine, and the translation of Ari Kaplan himself, um, uh, a figure I would say very similar, uh, similar in certain respects, the Ramchal, a tremendous output, a slight, a slight, uh, slightly interesting life trajectory, and of course, tragically, an early death. Uh, I don't think it's any accident that uh, one of the main thinkers that he chose to translate was the Ramchal himself. But listen to a, a short excerpt from it. The source of the soul is majestic. Our soul comes from upon high. But the soul diminishes itself in entering the body. But what happens when the soul enters gross physical reality? So the soul is hurt. The soul is <clears throat> diminished. Right? The soul doesn't always shine through. So as not to saturate it with refinement in one instant and alter it from what it was created to be. Right? Halavai, can you imagine if the soul would just fully express itself? Well, we would cease to exist. I, I think we might even call that death when the soul separates from the body. So what happens? Little by little... Through virtuous acts, through performing mitzvot, the soul affects the requisite amendment to the body. Our goal in this world is to perform mitzvot in service of Hashem, to daven and to learn Torah, to allow little by little, in a gradual sense, this soul, this pure divine soul, this Elokim, that's been imprinted upon us by 
performing acts of mitzvot and service of God to allow it to shine a little bit more, to gradually go ahead and to perfect the body until the body is fit to present itself together with the soul to behold the pleasantness of Hashem and to sojourn in sanctity for all eternity. This is like one line in Dat Funot, just one line over here that basically gives you the entire concept of what the soul is doing in the body, the, the, the dual roles of the body and the soul and how we achieve perfection. This kind of clear presentation which does not contain any overt Kabbalistic tone is a hallmark of much of the Ramchal's uh, revealed writings and much of uh, the Ramchal's writings that became uh, printed, reprinted, studied again and again in posterity. In 1734, amidst continuing antagonism from certain individuals and the Venice rabbinate, so the Ramchal leaves Padua and arrives in Frankfurt am Main. So basically, the... um, the, the Venice rabbinate, so they prevail and people continue to go ahead and they <coughs> compile a dossier on the Ramchal and they continue to say that the Ramchal is engaging and violating the ban. The Ramchal leaves to Frankfurt on Main. Immediately upon rece- uh, uh, arriving in Frankfurt, I mean, he's summoned to the base din over there, Rabbi Binyamin Cohen, and once again, he's uh, commanded letters arrive from Moshe Chagis, and the controversy chases Ramchal there. Ramchal finally settles in Amsterdam in February 1735, and there he finds work as a diamond cutter or a lens grinder. Some say that the lens grinder tradition is almost too Spinozan, and it's probably not true uh, that that's what his job was, but the, there the Ramchal finally finds a community which allows him, uh, the redifos, the people that chase after him, are somewhat quieted over here. The Ramchal writes in a letter uh, to his Rebbe, to Rav Basani, says, Thank God, describing the intellectual climate in the Spanish-Portuguese community of Amsterdam, thank God all the learned men here come to visit me and assemble in my house whenever they can spare the time. They wonder why I refuse to teach them true wisdom, referring to Kabbalah, but it is not because of the Frankfurt undertaking. Now please set your mind at rest and do not trouble your poor heart by pondering on my case. If the matter will not be known to us in this world, we shall know it in the world to come. A sense of almost resignation. However, in this time, the Ramchal starts to undergo his strongest literary period. In 1736, the Ramchal publicize, uh, pu- uh, publishes a, a, a dialogue, Choker Umekubal, which is a discussion between a philosopher and a Mekubal and a Kabbalist. And in the wake of that, word of that is the final straw, and a ban of excommunication is issued against all of the Ramchal. Ramchal's works, specifically his works, not the person, published by the rabbis of Venice. In 1740, the Ramchal's most enduring and everlasting work, one of the most important works of all of Jewish history, the Mesilas Yesharim, is published in Amsterdam. You could see the frontispiece on the side on the right of the page. Uh, Mesilas Yesharim, just to give you a sense of how uh, important Mesilas Yesharim is, look at footnote 6. Uh, a scholar David Sklar says that Mesilas Yesharim was sufficiently in demand to warrant the printing of seven editions in Vilna between 1844 and 1875 and 25 editions in Warsaw. The Vilna imprint was the second book book printed by the Ram Press. The Ram Press becomes famous for the Vilna Shas. Mesilas Yesharim is published by the Ram Press before the Shas is published by the Ram Press and it is... um, it is, uh, becomes essential work of the nascent Rabbi Saul Salanter, uh, puts this book, the Mesilas Yesharim, at the center of the Musr movement, which takes, again, uh, makes a tremendous impact on the Jewish world. It becomes the foundational text of the Musr movement. It is based, we won't go through it right now, but if you look at the box, it's based on the Bryce of Rabbi Pinchas Ben Ya'ir, uh, which is a ladder of 
things that a person needs to achieve spiritually? Well, he basically says, Torah brings you to carefulness, and carefulness brings you to alacrity, and alacrity brings you to cleanliness, and cleanliness brings you to, to separateness, prishut mi'avira, and prishut uh, separateness brings you to purity, and purity brings you to chasidut, to piety, and piety brings you to humility, and humility brings you to fear of sin, and fear of sin brings you to holiness, and holiness brings mi'viyav, ha'kidusha mi'viyayli dei ruach ha'kodesh, from Pinchas ben Yairz, an almost uh, mystical figure in the Talmud of person, they say he was so righteous that even his animals would rest on Shabbos and wouldn't violate the Sabbath. It's printed twice and uh, the Bryce is printed at the end of Mesechet Sot. It's also printed again, Mesechet of Odazar and Davchav Beis Amad Beis. And he, the, this is the foundation. The Ramchal's chapters are patterned after this ladder in uh, Mesilati Sharim. There, it, it has no overt Kabbalistic undertone, uh, no, no overt Kabbalistic nature to it, but in a certain sense, the whole book is a work of mystery mysticism as well. It's become a foundational text. The Ramchal has these immortal words, and I'm conscious of the time. The Ramchal has these immortal words at the beginning in his introduction, and this, this we will read the second paragraph here, and Amir Tzashem next week will be able to delve more deeply into the Mesilas Yeshar, and the Ramchal writes, HaChibur Hazeh, this book, I haven't written it to tell anybody anything new. It's rather to remind them that which is clear and known to them. Everybody knows what I'm going to write here. But because these matters are so well known, that's why people ignore it so much. And they tend to forget or ignore these facts. So Ramchal goes ahead and obviously Ramchal is greatly understating. A work that becomes one of the most uh, one of the most highly published and sought after and studied books in all of Jewish history is not just the work where everybody already knows what it's going to say. Rather, it's the presentation or the fact that maybe it's even, we'll see, perhaps even more than a book. Something that uh, goes beyond the printed word. That it's something that's, uh, that's actually the same way that uh, I would never say that my, uh, that my car's operating manual is a, a piece of literature, right? It tells me how, how my car functions. It tells me how my car drives. Maybe Misil Sushar is not meant to be seen as merely a book. Mesil Shasharim studied properly. If it's just a book, then it doesn't really, maybe the Ramchal is just saying that. It's just a quick reminder. Ramchal says it's actually something that you can never finish reading. To be sure, many people, when they start out learning Mesil Shasharim, they only get past like the first chapter. It's a very, right, it's, it's everybody starts with the sense of we're going to finish it. Never make it past the beginning. Um, but but, but, but Mesil Shasharim becomes one of the most enduring, everlasting texts. It's published during the Ramchal's time in Mesil Yesharim. Taking a look, the Ramchal, uh, for reasons that are, that are essentially lost to history, uh, or unclear, mysteriously the Ramchal arrives in the land of Israel. Now the reason is clear. Ramchal, like many other figures before, later on, 1798, uh, uh, the uh, Rabbi Nachman of Breslev, as we know, will arrive in the, in the port of Akko as well. Uh, the Ramchal arrives in the land of Israel at the port of Akko and settles there, like many other figures, the Ramban before him, and also the rabbis of the Talmud, that when they would arrive at Akko, they, they would go ahead and that they would kiss the stones of the port of Akko, the settling place in the land of Israel. That's where the Ramchal arrives and settles there together with his family and his Talmidim. 26 ER Chaf Vav ER, which is also in the Sphira. If you take a look at the Sphiras that we count in the Siddur as well, it will say a combination of the two Sphirot at the time, which is Yisod, Sheb Yisod, the foundation of all foundations. The Ramchal, his wife and his only son die in a cholera outbreak. The Ramchal is only
only 39 years old. Just to give you a sense of the Ramchal's subsequent importance and this turbulent, mysterious, wondrous life. The Ramchal writes, a proclamation actually is issued by the rabbis of Tiberia who appreciate the Ramchal, the man who was in their midst, who said after the death of the Ramchal, Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth. How great amongst the rabbis, the divine Kabbalist, the lamp, the chariot of Israel and its horsemen, the light that was in Israel, our teacher and master, Rabbi Moshe Chaim Litzato, has passed away, he and all of his family, of the pestilence before the Lord. He has been interred in Tiberia next to Rabbi Akiva, Peace be upon him. Happy is his lot and the world in this world and the world to come. But woe is to us for Nafla Ateris Roshenu. The crown has fallen from our heads. Already we see among certain communities an appreciation of the Ramchal, the controversies that surrounded him, the accusations that surrounded him. Already at a certain point after his death begin to subside. And then the reception history of the Ramchal becomes to the point. And just we'll look very quickly at the final point. The first box is from a sefer that was printed by Rabbi Yosef Chaim Abu called Mireach Nicholach, printed in honor of the Ramchal, and it contains a number of testimonies about the greatness of the Ramchal. For example, in the greatest rabbinic figures of Europe, and this is quoted uh, by many people, apparently the tradition he has over here is the Rosh Yeshiva, the Lamji Yeshiva, and in the introduction to a safer rites, Asher Shamat Mipiagon Agadur Gordon of Tells, Asher Hayah Beis the Ram Yeshivas Tells in Lita, he heard mouth from mouth from mouth, the Lithuanian tradition that the great Vilna Gon, the one of the greatest rabbis of Jewish history, unassailable, said that upon reading the first ten chapters in the Seals Yisharm, he said, much like a Sefer Torah, there's not a single extraneous word that is in the Seals Yisharm. The entire book is perfect. He said further that had he been alive at the time, had he been around at the time of the Ramchal, and their lives did, over, uh, uh, did cross over at one point, but uh, they never met. He said, had he, had he been able to, he would have traveled by foot from Lithuania, from Vilna, to sit at the feet of the Ramchal to learn Torah for him. Uh, also, it's repeated in the name of the Magad of Mezrich, the great Talmud of the Baal Shem Tov and the propagator of Hasidus, who said, His generation was unable and unfit in, a, in order to appreciate the greatness and the sanctity of the Ramchal. And many people spoke about that which they did not understand and it, it uh, uh, ushered imprecations and terrible things. This is printed at the Hakdama of Sefer Klach Pistei Chachma, which is the Ramchal's full explication in 138 chapters of the Arizal symbolism and the symbolism of the Kabbalistic system, which we will, uh, God willing, be learning in subsequent sessions, uh, excerpts from it. And that's printed in one of the first printings of Karitz in the, Hakta, uh, in the Karitz edition in the Akdama Teklach Pistei Chachma. But it wasn't just traditional realms that went ahead and claimed the Ramchal's zone. I'm aware uh, that we're slightly over time. But take a look at the following statement. And don't look at the footnotes. Well, now you will look at the footnotes. <laughs> If we haven't succeeded at this time in placing the name of Rabbi Moshe Chaim Litzato as a mezuzah, as a holy scroll at the entrance to Hebrew literature, that everybody, when they enter into the sanctum of Hebrew literature, 
that they should kiss their that they should kiss it and kiss their hands in awe as they move past it. Vimad ata lo yadanu la hashkines or chayav yishiuta v'itziro v'itzire ruach of an efeshador. And up to now that we haven't seen fit to go ahead and implant the understanding and the greatness of this individual in his life in the hearts of our generation. Or tamid lo yichbe that eternal light shall never be extinguished. Os hu ki achen dalunu dalunu miod. It's a sign rather that we have lost out tremendously. Who's the writer of these words? None other than Chaim Nachman Bialik. Bialik saw the, uh, the, the Ramchal as the Amura Yisot, perhaps. Uh, maybe, maybe it's placed better by the great uh, scholar of Jewish literature, of Hebrew literature, uh, of, uh, of Rav Ar, Professor Aaron Bar Or, who said in the last second to last line, he says, It's possibly said to see the underpinnings of new Hebrew literature, of course, talking about Eid Hakinus, Bialik's project of gathering all of the great Jewish creativity and literary activity of all generations to have there as a foundation, a cultural foundation of the renaissance of the Jewish people in the land of Israel. So for very many years, as Tishbi writes in his introduction to his, as Professor Yosef Dan writes in the introduction to Tishbi's book, that the Ramchal was part of the standard curriculum for secular Israelis even. They would study his poetry, they would study his poems. For example, Le Yisharim Tehila and Migdal Oz and uh, and, and, and the Ramchal's uh, and Maaseh Shimshon, this was all part seen as one of the first great Hebrew authors. So we see all these streams of Judaism claim such a person. Bialik also said that this is a person that was found in the Beit Midrashim, Hagdolim of the Gra, of the Baal Shem Tov, and even of Ben Menachem, of Moshe, of, of Moshe Mendelssohn, that the Enlightenment, the Jewish Enlightenment, found something of an Ur figure in the Ramchal as well. So who is this figure? So we've learned about his life, but the only way to fully, truly understand the Ramchal is to look at his works and to look at his writing and to understand how monumental this character is. And uh, that is certainly our plan for the next four weeks. We'll start out with